Take your Bibles and turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. And while you're turning there, I'm not going to sing it again, but I, I did ask the guys to put the word, that verse of it is well with my soul upon the screen again. I know you've heard, most of you have heard me talk about this song before, but uh, may, there may be somebody here that doesn't know the background of this story. And you need to know the background of this story to understand uh, how Horatio Spafford could write those words, it is well with my soul. I mean, we're sitting here and we may say, well, sure, it's well with my soul too, because everything's going great. Horatio Spafford wrote those words after receiving a telegram, well, several days after receiving a telegram from his wife, that she and their children were crossing the Atlantic uh, on a, uh, a cruise liner going to, going to Europe on a family vacation. He was to join them later, and it went down. And his whole family, except his wife, died on that, in that uh, cruise ship wreck or, or sinkage. He immediately got a telegram from her that said, All are lost, save me, alone. I've got a copy of that telegram uh, uh, that I got from the Library of Congress. It's framed back there in my office. Right next to the words where he wrote them in longhand on my wall, he wrote the, the words to this song. The, wor the word is that he was traveling to meet her in England, to, to catch up with her. And as they crossed over the, the place where the ship had gone down, the captain of the ship he was on called him up on the bridge and said, this is where the accident happened. This is where your family died. And he went back to his cabin. He took out a sheet of paper from a hotel in Chicago, a letterhead from a hotel in Chicago, and he wrote this song. It is well with my soul. Even though my family has perished, my wife alone has survived, I know that God is in control. And I don't know about you, but to know that background just, to me, gives a whole lot more meaning to this song than just singing it as a, a hymn. This is one of those hymns that I hope we sing regularly for the rest of my life anyway, and I hope for the rest of yours because it has that kind of meaning. But my favorite verse in all of it is this verse. My sin, my sin, he's talking about his personal sin, my sin, Bill Haynes is yours. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. And we're singing that, I always have to, in that little interlude, is that what it's called, a little break between that word and the next phrase, I always have to say all of it said that this morning. My sin, not in part, but whole, all of it, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. I don't bear part of it. It's all nailed there. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I mean, that's that just a, that's the gospel, folks. That's the gospel in a nutshell, that when you are in Christ Jesus, your sins are nailed to the cross. When you are in Christ Jesus, your sins are paid for, not in part, but the whole. One thing Horatio Spafford knew, I think, and this is all free extra, this is not the sermon yet. Uh, one thing that Horatio Spafford knew was what we're going to talk about this morning, and that is what I call God's sustaining grace, out of Hebrews chapter 13, verses 7 through 9. Uh, it says a lot more there, and we'll comment on a lot more, but, but the real phrase I want to I really concentrate on is in verse 9 when it says, For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. 
not by food. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food. Hear the reading of this whole passage. You can take that down now. Verses 7 through 9 of Hebrews 13. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. Now the paragraph continues on, but I'm going to stop there, and we'll, we'll deal with this over the next several weeks, this, the rest of this chapter. But I want us to just concentrate on those, for those three verses, 7, 8, and 9, this morning. I think there must have been some dissension taking place in the church and the Christians to which this writer is writing. I think there must have been some, some chaos, some, some people who were kind of rebelling against the teaching of God's Word. Some who were saying, well, we, we have a, as much insight as you have. Because here he says, remember those who led you, that is the, the elders, the pastors who led you and taught you the Word of God. And later on in verse 17, he's going to be a little more strong on that. And he'll say, obey your leaders and submit to them. And I'm going to save that sermon for those verses, okay? But, but I want you to see here that, that the writer is saying, listen, God has placed spiritual leaders, God has placed elders and pastors in your churches for a specific reason. And if they are teaching you the word, and if they are speaking the word to you, then consider them. Be considerate of them and what they're teaching. And, and if, they're, if they're doing it well, if their conduct is well, imitate their faith. I, I want to be honest with you here today. And this may shock some of you, but I've, I've said it before. But I will never live up to my preaching. I never will. I will never live out everything that I'm preaching to you is the, the, the way of the gospel, the way of the Christian life. Now you may look at me and say, then Bill, that makes you a hypocrite. And I say, good, we'll just all be hypocrites together. But I'll never, I will never live up to the standard. And that's a good thing. I saw John Piper made a statement this week on Twitter, and it kind of struck my mind. And he said that. He said, no pastor, no preacher ever lives up to his preaching. If he does, he set the standard too low. Now think about that. If I can live up to it, then you've got to look at me and say, Bill, your standard's all wrong. Your standard is you, not Christ. Your standard is you, not the Word of God. So I just want to be honest with you here. I mean, I want to be transparent with you this morning that I will never live up to my preaching. My preaching, my, uh, my goals, my objectives in preaching the gospel will always be greater than I'll be ever, ever able to do. Ever. Ever. But I want you to know one thing. I strive to be everything that I preach about. I may not make it. Because I'm not perfect in this world and you're not. But, but the one thing that we do have as our standard and as our assurance and as our certainty is verse 8. Jesus Christ, however, is the same yesterday and today and forever. And if your leader's faith is in Christ and if your leader's exhortation is to follow Christ, then imitate their faith. Don't follow me. 
to follow me. If you're saying, oh man, I want to be like Bill Haynes, I got news for you, your standard is way low. If you say, well, I want to, I want to be like Pastor Bill, then, then, then you're misunderstanding the whole thing because all I have to say to you is follow Christ. Look to Christ. Imitate Christ. Imitate, uh, seek to know His grace, His sustaining grace, in such a way that you're growing in Christ's likeness. I'll never be that on this earth perfectly. And neither will you. But, but the point the writer is wanting to say here is, if there are those who speak the Word to you, who teach the Word to you, who are trusting in God's Word and trusting in Jesus Christ, consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. If you have leaders that are not preaching the Word to you, then don't imitate their faith. But if you have preachers that are not, imitating, are not preaching the Word to you, then you ought not be under their preaching. Bottom line. Find men of God who proclaim the Word and then follow them, let them lead you, and, and let them speak the Word of God to you, but may they always be pointing you to Christ. Because it's only in Christ that there is salvation, there's only in Christ that there is security, there's only in Christ that there is something to sustain you in difficult times. The writer says here in verse 9, don't be carried away by varied strange doctrines or teachings. You know, we, we live in a day where there are more varied and more strange doctrines than you can even list on a piece of paper. Uh, I started this week to try to do that. I thought, well, I'll give them a list. And after about a hundred, I quit. And I said, I can't read this. That'll take up all the sermon time if I do that. But suffice it to say, there are a lot of strange doctrines out there, a lot of strange teachings that tickle the ears and sound awfully, awfully impressive that, wow, where did that preacher ever come up with that? Well, it, was, it came out of his vain imagination most of the time, not out of the Word. Follow those who teach you the Word, imitate those who, who teach you the Word, imitate their faith, because Jesus Christ does not change. He's the same yesterday, He's the same today, and He will be the same tomorrow, forever, forever and ever. So don't listen to these, these phony pseudo-teachings about doctrine and, and ideas about Christ that, you know, that, that just go flying in the face of the Word of God. Just don't do it. But rather, as the sermon title last week, and this is part two of it this week, live it what He has called us to live. He said, For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Now, what in the world does that mean? What does it mean it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace? Paul said that to Timothy. In, in, in 2 Timothy 2.1, he, he made this statement. He said, You therefore, my son, listen to this, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He didn't say be strong in your own strength. He didn't say be strong in trying harder. He, he didn't say be strong in, in doing all that you can. But he said, no, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And, and it's interesting when Paul writes that, there, there's a, a little play on words there that he uses. The word you is emphatic. He's, he's, not, he's not just giving some kind of generalized you to everybody but he's given a specific and emphatic you to everybody. You follow what I'm saying? 
It's not just, oh, well, it ought to all be this way. It's saying you and you and you and you. Be strong. Timothy, be strong. You who are walking in Christ, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then the phrase there, which always I find interesting, the, the, the verb be strong, the admonition be strong, is passive. It's not a word that means, okay, I'll buck it up and I'll fight it and I'll stand strong. No, it's be strong in the grace. Let the grace that is in Christ Jesus make you strong. And it's only as you're being strengthened by His grace, it's only as you're being, uh, being strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ, is there any kind of hope for sustaining in this life. You know, this command of Paul is, is based on an implied promise that God's grace is sufficient to keep you and to protect you in all things. I mentioned Piper a while ago in a little tweet he did several years ago. Piper does something I wish I could do. I can't. But he likes to write poetry. Sometimes they're long poems. Sometimes they're short poems. But, but Piper wrote this one several years ago, and I've, I've kept it on my desk and in many places all along. It's a little four-liner. It says, not, and I put it in the grace notes this week. If you read those, you would have seen it. If you didn't, you might want to get one or go back to your computer and open it up. Not grace to bar what is not bliss, nor flight from all distress, but this, the grace that orders our trouble and pain, and then in the darkness is there to sustain. Now think about that a moment. What is sustaining grace? It's not grace that, that bars everything that's not good. We tend in our, in our culture and some of those strange and, and, and false teachings, varied and strange teachings that, that the writer here is talking about, we tend to think that if, if God's grace is really sufficient, if God's grace is really working in my life, then it'll keep all bad things away from me. You know, it'll keep tragedy away. It'll keep sickness away. It'll, it'll keep loved ones from rebelling. It'll keep churches from disappointing. I mean, you can go on and on about things that, that we believe that falsely, that if, if grace is active in our life, then it'll keep all those kind of bad things away. But I like what Piper says. It's not grace to bar what is not bliss. It's not, it's not a grace to keep everything out that's uncomfortable. Christians still hurt. Christians still get sick. Christians still agonize over things. Christians hurt, sometimes deeply. And the grace didn't keep it away. Sometimes we wonder, God, why is this happening? And that's when God's grace becomes sufficient. Because it's, it's not a flight from all distress, but this is what it is. It's grace that orders our trouble and pain. That is, it controls it. It, 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 it takes care of it. And then in the darkness is there to sustain. I had Ricky read that passage from Jeremiah this morning for a specific reason in our, in our reading of the Word. And I hope you listened. You know, I, I don't know if you realize this, but, but in, a, in a worship service we try to give you a variety of ways of, to, to, to absorb the Word. We, we, we sing about the Word in our singing when we come to that scripture reading, some of you say, well, why, why can't we turn to it? Because I don't want you reading, I want you hearing it. I want you, I want you listening intently, you know, to, to, to what is being said. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God, we say. And, and I want you just hearing the word. It, 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 we live in a culture that doesn't 
utilize our, our hearing that well sometimes. We, we like to see, we like to participate, we like to be interactive, and, and, and so we play video games and we, we watch television and we, we do all this. We don't, we don't read a lot and we don't listen a lot. And when we come to the scripture reading, that's the reason I don't put it in the bulletin anymore. I want you just to hear. I don't even, I know what it's going to be, but I don't open my Bible. I want to hear it fresh and new. Uh, almost like the readers uh, to, to Hebrews must have. They didn't have copies they handed out there. Biden said, okay, here's your, here's your copy of the book of Hebrews. Now follow along as I read. But the, the, the leader, the pastor, the elder of that church stood and said, we have this word that's to us. Listen to it. And they listened as he read meticulously this letter from whomever it was from. I'm beginning more and more to think it was from Luke. But, but that's a whole other story. We'll deal with that at the end of the book. But, but it, comes to, it comes to them and they hear it. And so I had Ricky read that passage out of, out of Jeremiah 32. And, and it's really 38 through 42 that I want you to think about. Because in that we find four promises of sovereign, sustaining grace. It's not called that there, but it's the elements that make up the, the sustaining grace of God. First thing is, God promises in that. Right there in verse 38, God promises to be our God. He, he, he says, they will be my people and I will be their God. And all the promises to his people are summed up in this. I will be your God. That is, I will use all that I am as God, all my wisdom, all my power, all my love, to see to it that you remain my people. You will be my people and I will be your God. So he promises to be our God. Secondly, he, he promises to change our hearts and cause us to love him and fear him. Verse 39, and, and I will give to them one heart and one way that they may fear me always for their own good and for the good of their children after them. You know what the greatest thing you can give to your children? It's an understanding of who God is and the fear of God and the love of God. And he says here, I'll change your hearts as believers. I'll change your hearts to cause you to love me and to fear me, not only for your good, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of your children that follow. You'll be able to teach them and instruct them and direct them in the ways of God. I mean, I mean, I mean the, the promise is tremendous. I'll be their God and I will change your heart. Thirdly, he says in verse 40, God promises that he will not turn away from us. But even more importantly, that we will not turn away from Him. I will make an everlasting covenant with them, and I will not turn away from them to do them good, and I will put the fear of me in their hearts so that they will not turn away from me. In other words, His heart work in our life is so powerful that He guarantees that we will not turn away from Him. He will be the magnet. He will be the sustainer. He will be the holder of our life. His work in our life. That's His promise of sustaining grace. And then finally, in, in verse 41 and 42, I, I, I think it's saying that God promises to do this with the greatest intensity you can imagine. And I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will faithfully plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I brought all this great disaster on this people, Hmm, that's an interesting statement. I thought all disaster came from Satan. I thought all disaster came from the world. No, no, God says, just as I brought all of this great disaster on this people, so I'm going to bring on them all the good that I am promising them. He says, listen, with intensity, with passion, with rejoicing, I will faithfully, 
I, God says, I will faithfully watch over them and do this. I mean, I, you, you can't imagine the intensity that, that the writer, Jeremiah, is saying there that God is promising to do. No matter how difficult, no matter how tough the situation is, I will be there and I will be the one passionately watching over you. I don't know about you, but boy, that gives me some security. That, that gives me some strengthening power, not from within. You know, I, I heard a pastor on television the other day say, you know, if you really want to really draw close to God, then just look within. This was supposedly a Christian preacher. I wanted to scream at the television. I knew he couldn't hear me, so I saved my voice. But I wanted to scream at the television, no, you don't look within. You look within, all you're going to see is sin and rebellion and, and stuff that needs to be dealt with. Look outward. Look to Him. Look to His Word. Look to the cross. Look to Christ and Christ alone. That's where you'll know God. Not by some kind of crazy navel-gazing. The truth of the matter is, as the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, be strengthened by grace. The truth of the matter is, we all have to hold on to God's sustaining grace or we fail. They're not some who are sort of super saints, who say, well, I don't need God's grace anymore. I don't need to hold on to God's sustaining grace. I've got it all mastered. I can handle it from here on out. That's ridiculous. That's a lie. We all have to hold on to God's sustaining grace. That's just the reality. Because we, as, as human beings, are utterly fickle and unreliable. We really are. We're a fickle bunch. We, if we're dependent on our own strength and our own wisdom, we're tossed here and there by every doctrine and tossed here and there by every wave that you can imagine. I think that's why the church for generations, I should have had Jeff sing this this morning, but the church is saying for, for generations, and I won't sing it, I'll just quote it. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. You hear know what the hymn you know writer is saying? I'm a, I'm a debtor to grace. I'm... I'm Daily, I'm a, de I'm a debtor to grace. Not, not just every now and then, not just sometimes, but daily, I am a debtor to grace. And I'm constrained to be. But Lord, let your goodness, like a fetter, tie me, bind me, bind my wandering heart to you. I know I'm prone to wonder. I, I feel it, Lord. I know I'm prone to wonder. I am prone in my own strength to leave you, the God that I love. Take my heart. Here's my heart. Oh, take and seal it. Seal it for your courts above. You see the, you see the testimony of that hymn writer is the same testimony that the writer of Hebrews is talking about here, be strengthened by grace. It's the same thing that, that Timothy was told by Paul, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Because our hearts are prone to wonder. Our hearts are prone to sin. Our hearts 
according to the, the prophet, is, is more deceiving and deceptible, uh, uh, de deceivable than, than you can even imagine. And if you're dependent on your own heart, if you're looking within, you will always be deceived. Peter kind of dealt with that a little bit too in, in his first letter, 1 Peter 3, uh, 1, 3 through 5, he makes this statement. Just listen to it. I want you to hear the word here. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Hebrews, Paul to Timothy, Jeremiah the prophet, Peter the impetuous apostle, even though he was prone to stick his foot in his mouth from time to time, He's also prone to know that it's only by God's grace. It's only by God's power. It's only by His great mercy. Peter's aim here in those verses is to move us to, to worship God. It's to show us that God is the greatest value in all the world. And it's to, call, it's to move us to treasure Him above anything else, above the things of the world that we saw in that video. To treasure Christ above everything else. I mean, he starts out by blessing God and praising God. You know, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then after he, he just takes that brief phrase of worship and praise, he shows that God is at the center of life. He says six things. Quickly, their God is great in mercy. God causes us to be born again. God gives us a living hope. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God promises to be an promises us an indestructible inheritance, and God is keeping that inheritance. He's protecting that inheritance so that it will never, ever, ever perish or soil or fade away. But the essence of sustaining grace is in verse five who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's God's sustaining grace. His grace protects us. God protects us. God watches over us. Grace is to be our strength, not food. There are those who are so occupied and they have not benefited from it Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. You know, the, the last part of that is absolutely true. Tomorrow we'll die. But God's sustaining grace shows us that it's not about food, it's not about drink, it's not about partying, it's about His grace. That really matters. It's about His grace that really matters. And I don't care whether you're in a, in a, a, a situation where there are Christians all around you and, and you say, well, I don't, I don't have to be strong in the grace here. You're wrong. It's a lot clearer you have to trust in His sustaining grace if you're among an antagonistic culture or an antagonistic society where, where some of you will be. 
I mean, when you're there and it's just you and God, and that's it. You and Christ, and that's it. You understand His grace is so much more, so much more necessary to be sustaining than you do if you're sitting here in Grace Baptist Church on a Sunday morning. Oh, that we learn it's Him who protects us. It's Him who guards us. And, and as, as Oswald Sanders once said years ago in a book I read by him, he said, we have to come as Christians to understand no matter where we are in the, on the face of this earth, no matter what the opposition might be, we have to come to understand that Jesus Christ plus me is a majority. Even though thousands may be standing against you. Even though a whole culture may say, you're a fool for believing in the gospel because the, the cross is a stumbling block. The cross is fooling, foolishness to, to many. But you standing with Christ is a sustaining point that is a majority in the sense of standing strong. You know that I go back to that hymn again and again, Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Listen, I'm a debtor to grace. We sing the song, and I thought we were singing as a commitment. We're not. We're singing something else. But we sing a debtor to mercy alone. Mercy is grace. We are a debtor to grace alone. His grace, His work. And now God says to you and me as believers... My grace is not just to save you, but my grace is to strengthen you and to sustain you every single day of your life. Look to Christ. Are you hurting right now because of disappointment in your life? Maybe, maybe the church has disappointed you. Maybe any number of things. Are you, are you hurting right now because of disappointment? Look to Christ. Look beyond a pastor. Look beyond a, a church. Look beyond a Sunday school teacher. Look to Christ. Are you hurting right now because there's physical sickness? Then I say look to Christ. Look, look beyond even the doctors that treat you. Look beyond the, the medicines that you take. Look beyond all the earthly things and look to Christ. His grace will sustain you. Is your family fractured? Is there rebellion and, and, and you just don't understand how that can be happening? You are a Christian mom and dad and, and, and everything you, you thought you, you did just right. Then, then I say, don't look at just the circumstances. Look to Christ. Because the circumstances will destroy. The circumstances will, will rip you apart. But grace will sustain you as you look to Christ. You know, I'm glad this writer, maybe Luke, we'll see, but I'm glad this writer comes to this point as he's closing this out and he said things like, you know, honor the marriage bed, keep the, let the marriage bed be held in honor and not, and not defiled. You know, don't uh, remember the prisoners, love one another in the body, be hospitable to strangers and, and all these things. I'm glad that he came to that, that point of saying, and all of this will happen, all of this takes place only as you are strengthened by grace. It's not a normal thing to love another person. 
It's not a normal thing to be hospitable to strangers, especially if they're different from us. It's only by God's grace. So again, this is not... This is not the author saying, here's a checklist of things. Now do these things and God will like you. I say, no. These are things that are impossible unless you're strengthened by His grace. These are things that are out of the question unless you're strengthened by His grace. But when your focus is on Christ, when you're looking to Him, these things not only are a possibility, these things are a reality in the life of a believer. Not because you're a good person who just does good things, but because He is a great God who sustains you. Let's pray. I don't know where many of you are spiritually this morning. I've kind of taken a shotgun approach and tried to hit a little bit of everything in talking about in, in talking about uh, where God's grace will sustain you, and I've, I've missed many areas that you may be in. And maybe you're here and you don't know about God's sustaining grace. You can't identify with that because, quite honestly, you're just, you're without Christ. And, and I invite you to come to Christ. Not primarily to a church. Not primarily to, a, to an organization. But to a person. If you don't know Christ, I invite you to come to Christ. Trust Him. Say, well, I don't understand everything. I like what Augustine said. Augustine said, believe so that you might understand. Our problem is we don't understand before we believe. The truth of the matter is, understanding comes by faith, just like everything else. Believe so you might understand. I invite you to Christ. Father, we thank you this day for your presence among us, for your word of truth. Father, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit will move in our hearts. Every one of us, believer and unbeliever alike, as we would categorize it, strong Christian and weak Christian and everything in between, because, Lord, the strongest of us can only survive by your sustaining grace. Father, do your work right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.